Welcome to Sex Spoken Here with me, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. I am a sex coach and relationship psychologist and created this show to help you solve any sexual problems, learn about all things sexy, sensual, and intimate, and create your ideal lasting relationship. In my virtual therapy room, I answer questions, interview experts, and provide tips that you can use straight away. Listen in weekly as I share key strategies to help you create a problem-free, exciting sex life. Make sure you join us to be up to date on all events and to easily access coaching at www.the-intimacy-coach.com. Welcome to my virtual therapy room. I'm Dr. Lori Beth, and this is Sex Spoken Here. Today, we are talking about communication and sex. Many people find talking about sex extremely difficult. In my experience, heterosexual couples don't spend much time talking about sex at the beginning of a relationship. Some have that safe sex talk, but many others simply use condoms and avoid the talk. Heterosexual couples tend to meet be attracted to each other, and get into bed before they ever really discuss what turns each other on. Those who do talk about sex before having it come in three flavors. People who prefer kinky sex. People who have become involved online, so they haven't met in person quickly, and they end up talking to each other about sex online. And people who have a sexually transmitted disease and are concerned that they could pass it on. Many gay men also don't talk a lot about sex before having sex, but more are happy to talk about sex and at least have that safe sex conversation than heterosexuals, and the same is true for for lesbian women. Lots of people ask, what is the problem? You have sex, you enjoy sex, so what's there to talk about? When you first fall for somebody, The sexual energy is usually very high, so almost anything you do together can sexually feel good. You spend a lot of time thinking of your new partner, fantasizing about what you would do together, and by the time you have sex, you're actually halfway or more to orgasm, just from fantasizing and thinking about the event before it happens. What he does to you doesn't matter so much. Lots of couples ignore when things don't quite fit. Both women and men will fake orgasm so as not to hurt their partners. They figure that actually things will get better as time goes on and they learn each other's bodies better. And in fact, to a degree, that can be true. However, if you don't have the same sexual interests, that's not going to improve without having a conversation. Once the relationship settles down into routine, things will change. Now, part of this is biochemical. Research has highlighted that it only takes between one and a half minutes and four minutes to decide if you fancy someone. 55% of attraction or thereabouts is down to body language and presentation, 38% to tone and speed of voice, and only 7% as a result of what's actually said. When you first fall in love, you're driven by testosterone and estrogen, and that's both men and women. Then adrenaline, 
dopamine, and serotonin will play a crucial role in fostering your attraction. It's at this point when all you tend to think about is your lover. If you've really been in love before, and you take a moment now to think about what that was like, it can be crazy feeling because the intensity can be so strong and it can be hard to concentrate on anything other than your lover. Oxytocin and vasopressin encourage you to attach to your lover. These chemicals are around after you have sex. So the more sex you have, the more you attach and bond. When you enter the routine relationship, all of these chemicals die down in intensity. This is the point at which couples begin, report the beginnings of sexual issues. Usually this is between about six months and two years in a relationship. However, if you have a long distance relationship, it might take longer because you're not seeing each other as frequently. It's almost like having many shorter term relationships. This is the point at which talking about sex becomes important. When these chemicals die down, when things become more routine. However, if you've not talked about sex much before, it's the point where it becomes extremely hard to bring the subject up. If you tell your lover you aren't reaching orgasm, you worry they will be hurt and also that they will ask if you were faking until that point. If there's something kinky that you really fancy doing, you worry your partner will be disgusted or reject you. Lots of couples settle into a routine of not talking about sex. Sex becomes something that happens in the same way, same day, and sometimes even at the same time. Sex becomes the elephant in the room. The longer routine goes on without talking about things, the harder it becomes to talk about things. Sometimes this means people live unhappily for years, and then something happens that provokes them to get some help. Other times, one partner has an affair. Sometimes the couple then gets help, and far more often, the couple then separates. In my most memorable case, a couple was referred to me by a fertility doctor because they were arguing a lot, and this doctor felt they needed to learn to communicate better. They'd been undergoing fertility treatment for nine months and no pregnancy had yet occurred, and anybody who's been through fertility treatment knows that fertility treatment is incredibly stressful. It's hard on the body because you're adding all sorts of chemicals and in increasing hormone levels. And it's hard on the emotions because each time there's hope and then when you don't get pregnant or the pregnancy fails, then there's discouragement, which often turns to despair. Well, I've always preferred to take a comprehensive history when I start working with people. And as part of this, I always ask about sex life. Margie told me, that they didn't have sex. So I asked when they stopped having sex, and she replied, we never had proper sex. I was a bit stumped. I clarified, you haven't had sexual intercourse? And both said, yes. I asked if the doctors working with them knew, and they replied, no, 
No one had ever explored this in detail with them before, and they didn't volunteer it. I asked how they knew they needed fertility treatment. And Margie replied, Well, I can't get pregnant if he won't fuck me, can I? I agreed. In exploring their sex life, Ken admitted that he had never had penetrative sex with anyone. He told me he could only reach orgasm through masturbation and that he had very specific fantasies that he was embarrassed to discuss. Their sex life had been at the center of their marital difficulties for years. Margie told me she'd given up on ever having a sex life, but was willing to live with this because she wasn't very sexual anyway. What she was not willing to live with was not having a family. Margie desperately wanted a baby, and now she was in her 30s and she felt time was running out. At first, they didn't want to work on their sex life at all as part of the couple's work. They simply wanted to focus on learning to communicate so that they were not, as they put it, being horrible to each other anymore. After we worked together for six months, they agreed to do some work on their sex life. In this case, most of the work was with Ken, as he needed help to disclose his desires to his wife and to break out of the habit he'd developed so that he could reach orgasm via another mean other than masturbation. They stopped fertility treatments after six months of working with me because they'd not achieved a a pregnancy, and the stress was great, and the expense was great. After we worked on their sexual life for eight months, they became pregnant through having sex and were thrilled to bits. Most of the work I did with Margie and Ken was on communication. We started with the basics. The first thing that is the most important is that you know your own mind. Before you can communicate effectively, you have to know what you want to say. And when it comes to talking about sex, this means knowing what turns you on and knowing what you want from your partner. This is an area that is incredibly difficult for people. People are divided into two camps. One camp is those who have no idea what truly turns them on. They see being turned on as something that happens as a result of the other person. They're excited when they get turned on, but there is no predictability to how that will happen. And they've never taken the time to explore themselves. The other camp is those who have an inkling or or pretty much know what turns them on, but really isn't sure how to talk to their partner about it or what to ask for from their partner. Second, you need to be clear about your approach to the conversation. Conversations about sex feel very tricky. Part of this is usually a fear that your partner will be horrified and reject you. Part of this is often a fear that your partner will be hurt by what you're saying. If you're going to tell your partner you would like her to do something different, she might wonder if you've been faking all along, or she might wonder if you're having an affair and have learned this from someone else. If you're able to say you want to try something different in a way that excites her, this is far less likely to be the case. So say, I would love it if we could try having you on top. Instead of saying, I think I would find it easier to come if you were on top. If you've been having bad sex or avoiding sex for a while 
it might help to try out the approach on someone other than your partner and get some feedback about how you sound. This is because often we don't realize how critical we can sound or how much our anger, our stress, or our frustration actually will come through in our speech, tones, and patterns, and our body language. The next step is to make sure that you're taking responsibility for your own feelings and experience. These are the I statements. So instead of, when you do this, it upsets me, I don't like it when. I like it when. I feel this, not because of what the person does, but because I feel it. I have control over my own feelings. Now, there's quite a lot of practice sometimes involved in learning to use I statements and in learning other aspects of nonviolent communication. So that may take you some time. Next, you need to make sure to have this conversation in a safe time and space. There's nothing worse than starting a difficult conversation and being interrupted by phone calls or an obligation. Make sure you have time for the conversation and that your partner has time for the conversation. Turn off phones and other electronic de devices unless it's absolutely necessary to leave them on. And make sure the space is free from distraction and safe from intrusion by others. I had a couple who came to me who um, were working on this step and uh, the wife came in in the session and she was furious at um, her husband because she had prioritized having this discussion, she'd made sure she had time for the discussion. And it was the only time she had, which was Sunday afternoon, which was when the football game was on. There's no way that that was going to be an appropriate time for the conversation. They had 30 minutes before the football game started. That's not enough time to leave for a conversation of this type when you know that there are difficult things to say and discuss. You want to make sure you leave at least an hour. So you really do need to actually agree to schedule this with your partner. Lastly, from the basics, talk about positives as well as negatives. Let your partner know you still find him very attractive if this is true. Tell your partner what she does that really works for you. There's nothing worse than a conversation that's all negative and talks about none of the positive things that you have in your relationship with each other. There are lots of fun ways to start conversations about sex that can lower the tension. I have a list of questions about sex, sexuality, and sensuality that I suggest people use to discover more about their own and their partner's sexual interests. Instead of just working through these at home at the kitchen table, you could work through them in the bath together or while snuggled up in bed. You could go out to dinner and work through some of the questions at dinner. That adds the additional thrill of talking about sex in public. I suggest picking four or five questions to work on at a time. When you find a topic that excites you both, consider setting a date to explore it deeper. For example, one of the set questions is, have you ever tried bondage? And if so, what kind? If not, does any kind of restraint appeal to you? If you discover that using handcuffs appeals to you both, talk about how you'd like to use them. Agree what your limits would be. Go shopping for the handcuffs together. Create the scene in which you will try them. Are you going to role play? Or are you simply going to cuff your partner to the bedpost and have sex? 
Once you agree how you'll do it, schedule the date. And then also schedule a time afterwards to talk about how it went and what you want to do next. Andrea and Nancy came into coaching with me to spice up their relationship. They described the first six months of their relationship as super hot, and then both reported that things had become stale. Andrea admitted that she went along with what Nancy wanted to do from the beginning because things were so hot she was willing to do whatever Nancy wanted. A year down the line, and Andrea was flirting with other women online and was worried about the temptation. Nancy was spending more and more time at work and felt the relationship was taking an inevitable course towards separation. In order to turn up the heat, they both agreed that any routine sex was off the table for the next month. They agreed to explore as sexual and sensual possibilities two to three times a week. They scheduled conversations and dates in their diaries. They agreed that no possible activity was off limits and they would not judge each other. To prepare for the first conversation, they both made a list of sexual activities they were interested in trying. They also highlighted things they had already done and enjoyed. I encouraged them to bring erotic material to the conversations. Andrea started first and brought an erotic short story with her called Telepaths Don't Need Safe Words by Celia Tan. It is an erotic science fiction story with themes of dominance and submission. Andrea suggested that she read the story to Nancy and then they talk about what they liked and didn't like. They came to the next session all fired up. Nancy said that she'd found the story extremely exciting, and Andrea was incredibly relieved. They agreed to try out a couple things based on the story and found it almost impossible to stick to the no full sex rule. By the time the month was over, Nancy and Andrea had a bunch of new sexual interests and were having regular conversations about sex and intimacy. Their relationship was stronger than it had ever been, and they were behaving like newlyweds again. Regular conversations about your relationship and your intimate life are essential to keeping your relationship alive and well and exciting in the long term. Boredom is toxic to a relationship, but it need not ever be an issue as long as you keep talking about your sexual life and are willing to explore. Your mind is where arousal starts. Conversation ignites your passion through your mind. If you find talking difficult, start by writing to each other. You can sext, you can write an erotic email, or you could even write an erotic short story. Sometimes I suggest couples use erotica, films, images, books, short stories to illustrate their desires. It gives you an opportunity to see how your partner might respond without disclosing all of your de desires. So it it, it can feel like it really lowers the risk of rejection. Daryl and Grant started their relationship as a casual one. They met at a club and they had sex that first night. For the next six months, they had lots of sex and lots of fun. After six months, they began to actually go out on proper dates as they were discovering they had a lot more in common than just good sex. They were completely surprised after a year of dating when they began to find their sex life dwindling. They both still had strong sex drives, 
but they found themselves finding excuses to avoid sex. They came to me after Grant had had a sexual, a quick sexual encounter with another guy. Daryl had already worked through the feeling of betrayal and, and they'd recommitted to each other. So they came specifically to work on their sex life. So it would not happen again. We started out by exploring their ultimate turn-ons. Both of them mentioned anonymous sex. Now, by definition, one cannot have anonymous sex with one's lover. We started looking at what parts of anonymous sex were so exciting, and both stated that the aspect of surprise was exciting. After some thought and lots of discussion, they decided to try some anonymous sex with each other by inviting a third person to join them. This brought that excitement and surprise back into the relationship. They came back into session and told me they had a great time with the threesome. But beyond that, what was so exciting was that they actually replayed it when they had sex alone. So they would talk about it in bed. They would, um, create elaborate additional scenes when they were in bed with each other. So this gave them the confidence to experience with more new activities. As they began to, to try new things, they found some of them were a great success and other things just didn't work for them. So they sat down and they made an agreement that they needed things to work for both of them in order for them to pursue the activity. Now that won't work for some couples. For some couples, there are things that are so important that if it's not going to be a part of their sex life, it will become difficult to enjoy the sex life. But in this case, it was not a problem. When couples don't agree on turn on about turn-ons, communication is absolutely essential to find solutions that will make both people happy. If solutions cannot be found, Communication is even more important when deciding to separate so that an amicable separation can be achieved. Usually, talking about sex leads to hotter sex and more sex. So I would encourage you to talk about sex frequently. Thanks for joining me this week for Sex Spoken Here with Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. Write me with suggestions for the show, questions you want answered, and if you'd like to appear on the show to talk about any particular issue or quirk that you might have. Write me at drbisbee at theintimacycoach.com. That's Dr. Bisbee, B-I-S-B-E-Y, and it's all one word at the-intimacy-coach.com. Do follow me on Twitter, and my handle there is Dr. Bisbee. For a free 30-minute strategy session with me, go to www.the-intimacy-coach.com and click the button that says Schedule Now. I look forward to seeing you next week. When the topic will be, how do I talk to my children about sex? Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to Sex Spoken Here with Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review here on iTunes or on Stitcher. And 
make sure you head over to www.the-intimacy-coach.com to subscribe for free newsletter updates to help you create and sustain an exciting trouble-free sexual life. Stay tuned for upcoming weekly episodes on all topics, sexy, sensual, and intimate. Thanks for listening.